0: Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another rider, another story. Today we have the Trinidadian Moral Man, all the way from the loving islands in the Caribbean. So he's a man who's, who's more or less after my own heart in the sense that my ancestry is Jamaican, obviously. We were probably, we will not go into the whole slave boat thing, but we are probably all on the same boat at some time or other, boys, yeah. yeah. But anyway, he works in a hospice. Uh, I've only just learned about that. So excuse me for the ignorant questions when we're doing this interview. But he's gonna tell us what it's like to work in hospice, how he got into the industry, and probably give us snippets about moving from Trinidad, the lovely island, Caribbean in the sun, to the cold, gray, gloomy, bad food, bad (laughs) (laughs) weather, bad teeth, country of England. But anyway, nice to have you here today.
1: Yay. Nice to be here. Um, this is an unexpected experience, but I'm all happy to to go with it. So, so
0: tell us, how did you get into the hospice business?
1: Um, and
0: uh, no, furthermore, before we go there,
1: yeah,
0: how long have you been in the country? What is the Caribbean life like? Okay. Why did you come here? Was it for love? Was it for work and money, like everybody else?
1: Uh, <laughs> so, I've only been here thirty years. 30 years? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a lot of hair when I came over. I'm now bald almost. Okay. Um, so I, I I, had a plan, an agenda, which was to come over here. I was um, in the hydrological field, which was just monitoring rainfall, stream flow, and just climatic changes in the Caribbean. and I thought that if I did nursing, it would be an opportunity to then move to the States because at that time, way back in ancient times, they only did um, a degrees in hydrology at master's level and the easiest place to move to was Arkansas in the States because they offered it as a first degree and also you could work if you had nurse training from the UK. So I had a, a plan. Mm-hmm. I had never done this before. As I said, I worked in the hydrological field, which is an engineering field in Trinidad, till 1990 when I left.
0: That's a big jump,
1: though. Be- very big jump. But I thought my my plan was always to continue in the same field, so I started my nurse training um, in Buckinghamshire, which was very different to Trinidad in lots of ways. Um, it was and I started in winter, so it was a big learning curve.
0: So just to get this right.
1: Yeah. You're
0: doing a high, hydrological engineering, yeah, which is basically water, water measurement, and
1: so water very, wells, yeah, various forms of water.
0: I understand. So they're basically the world's most precious natural resource. Yeah. And then you wanted to go to America, but you decided to come to England first. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you can finally help jump. So America, like, precise.
1: It was like a stepping stone plan to make sure I had um, the capacity to work legally and to to survive as well as study in the states. So that was my long term plan at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I came over here. Culture shock because you know I the job I had meant that my my week was made up of taking a 4x4 vehicle with a colleague and driving to various parts rural, the the tropical rainforest hillsides, beach sides, all the rivers, measuring flow, um, measuring rainfall gauges so it was not an indoor job Mm -hmm. and I never thought I would do an indoor job very well anyway so it was a big jump to then being on a ward and training and looking after people and sort of the nurse's role and I didn't expect to be good at it I didn't think I would not like it because I thought you know I always at home would look after my older relatives if needed um, and help out in any way I can but I did really well and I was very surprised I, I was really good at it in the academic side as well as the feedback from the wards the placements I was on um, So yeah, and I had planned to move on and hopefully get a job or get one one year experience before I moved on. But then, unfortunately, if anybody is old enough to remember the early 90s when suddenly there was a change. So the reason I was allowed to come to trade in the UK was because we were then, um, we were still a part of the Commonwealth and they were very eager even up until 1990 to have students to arrive from the Caribbean and other Commonwealth countries. We worked on the wards. We were counted in the numbers. We paid taxes. Nobody gave us a free ride. We weren't students. We were, despite being students, we didn't have any grants or anything. We had to earn your living Mm -hmm. to survive. You'd pay your taxes. They introduced council tax or poll tax. We still had to pay that. Um, But then Mrs. Thatcher, if I'm correct, had decided to stop, giving work permits to any non-British person and even in nursing despite the shortages they refused to issue us so a lot of us either had to go back home when we finished our three and a half years training or work in the private sector in nursing homes. I then worked in a nursing home after I qualified in Oxfordshire run by a Malaysian businessman who had very various things and it was a private care home basically you worked like a slave constantly mm-hmm. and i don't know if that man is around still he may have died by now i think his businesses have changed hands which is probably for the better because oh he only hired non-british nurses to work for him and he would hold your passport for six months until you, you had to pay a bond per month so you wouldn't run away when you got your work permit and you'd be on call duty one in three, or if you were senior nurse, which I became eventually, every other week, which meant you had to be available seven days a week at the drop of a hat. There was no life. This was in England? In England, in Oxfordshire, in a village called Merton, yeah, Abyss. isn't that
0: against the work in...
1: No, it is. Believe it or not, in those days, people, were, uh, the people actually got away with it, yeah? Um... But we didn't. A lot of people, one or two people, challenged it, and then. But he, because he held this bond, he'd give you back your passport, and you'd have to fight for your. And in those days, it might not seem like a lot of money now, but he would take a hundred pounds a month from your salary. And trust me, as a newly qualified nurse in nineteen ninety four, ninety five, as a bond, so you wouldn't run away. Oh okay. Because so people was, would people was, that would that disappear was. at night. It, honestly, it was like you could have made a film about this. Anyway. Thank goodness that practice stopped. The law has changed. But, you know, we we went through a, it was a, for all of us were nurses from Commonwealth countries like either African continent, Malaysia, the Caribbean. And it was sometimes quite depressing. We had our own ways of keeping ourselves positive and moving forward, but it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, there was a, a, he would blame us, if he would threaten us that if any patients develop pressure sores or whatever, it'll be on our backs and we, we, we'll be sued, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that was a, a, another steep learning curve for me. Uh, I left there being the senior nurse in charge of one of the units. He was begging me to stay when I was ready to go, but at that point my life changed, I had to move on.
0: What did you say to him when he asked you to
1: stay? I him no, because I think I need to go where I think I need to be. And where I'm valued. You didn't
0: tell him, yeah. Oh, so you didn't tell him that his work I, environment is disgusting.
1: No. So what? What I what I did, which I thought was a bigger blow, because he he was a, that sort of angry, shouty man, and that kind of words would just rile him up into doing being stupid or not listening. So what I did a few times when he threatened us, because he used to eavesdrop on the phone calls we would make to, I got onto the RCN and invited them to come and talk to the nurses to help educate us on the best practice and within seconds he he was running down the stairs saying oh gosh gary i didn't mean that blah 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 and you know well i just so we just want i just want to make sure the nurses that are meant to be managing are safe and our patients get the best care so he couldn't really have uh, stop the people the rcn members from coming in and providing us with support and training so i hopefully i did something good mm-hmm. but it was as i said a challenging time you know um So, yeah, it was a a life learning that I didn't expect then. So I moved on. I decided to leave nursing for a little while. Oh, I went into, no, uh, I felt drawn to, it might sound really old-fashioned or not the the norm today, but I went into a kind of religious life. I I wanted to consider joining a religious order, which was a, a nursing order as well. They were like monks, and the premise, their whole charism was the love of Christ compels us, and it was really the spirituality of the dying. It was a community that was founded way back in the days of the Black Plague, and they would bury the dead, look after the bereaved, all the families, all the children, or the wives, or whoever was left behind, and transport them, and they grew into a community, uh, and they chose a kind of not very well-known saint called Saint Alexis, who's a mythological saint anyway. Um, so I did that but they also had nursing homes and care homes and I thought they gave really good care it was really holistic care and I joined them and um, when I was with them I was on my journey I was first a postulant living with the community and seeing how things go and working on the wards then I became a novice I moved to London um, and I still journey with them went on various theological courses etc and I knew it wasn't for me by 2000 but I left on, with good terms with them. I still visit them now and then. They were really people who tried to help. They weren't perfect. They were human like every other human or whatever type of family we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also applied then for a job at say the hospice I work at now because what was, um, I didn't, hadn't realized at the time, but the same motto of the monks that I was going to join is the same motto of the hospice.
0: Sure they not connected, no, they're
1: not connected. No, no, no. One is by a totally different order of nuns that started a religious sisters in the hospice that I work at, is the oldest in Europe. It's probably the one of the oldest modern hospices in the world, it's about a hundred and over 105 years old. And five nuns started it for the to look after the vulnerable in the community. Then they weren't really palliative care based or any, or looking after one group of people they looked after the whole community and they've grown since they were given the land by a Jewish family and we look after right now we look after people of all faiths non-faiths believers non-believers anybody once you live in, the, in any of the boroughs we cover we look after you we respect your dignity whatever you want to do we don't preempt anything we support people we journey with people And so it's a charity? yes okay so the nuns had made it more of an independent charity. They agreed for it to be an independent charity a few years ago. So it's like, it's not it's sort of parallel to the the ones who started, but not own not um, governed by them anymore. Mm-hmm. So or, or they have a certain input, but it's kind of mainly led by a group of uh, uh, trustees. But it's. You know, it's been an amazing experience. I worked there for five years. I left because I was moving house, but I started on the wards, moved to the day hospice and then the community teams covering City and Hackney and Tower Hamlets. I left there, as I said, because of geographical changes to my location. And then I worked in North London as a COPD nurse. Then I was drawn back to palliative care and joined the local palliative care team in the borough. And then I was studying more, I was doing my, my physical and clinical assessment courses and my non-medical prescribing courses. I moved to Newham as a community matron, moved back to Harri- to another borough in London.
0: So you've got an extensive experience in the
1: medical field. Hopefully.
0: Do you miss the hydro?
1: I I do because. So
0: sounds great to me. Well, it. it, The only thing I'm
1: missing is a weapon.
0: You're missing is a weapon.
1: Oh no! Well, listen, you'd have to answer for the snakes and all the crazy things you'd come across too.
0: It'd be great. That's all adventure.
1: But it it was. But the the difference. So the similarities, in a weird kind of way, is that I have never had a job in a hospital, sitting on a ward or whatever. I always work in the community going to see people so tell us uh, what, do some of it.
0: Sorry, what's a typical day like for you now?
1: Typical day we start off, we have a handover meeting where we address any incoming calls from patients or relatives or other healthcare professionals overnight. We make sure we address those early in the day. We have people refer to us, we, we kind of rag them as to how urgently they need us, whether they need a nurse and a doctor or nurse alone, etc. We visit people, we discuss how we could help support them either with symptom management, psychological support, we even have welfare benefits advisors at the hospice and social workers, whether people want to be admitted for either symptom management or planned respite or unfortunately we do have people that who come into the, the hospice to die and their days there and unfortunately a lot of the local community know the hospice just for that and we've grown so much so many people come in more now mm-hmm. just to manage their symptoms to stabilize them when they go home because a lot of more people are choosing especially in the, since during the pandemic to die at home with their family around them so yeah okay. it's been a challenging year but uh, hopefully we've made a difference I
0: asked you earlier yeah do you get numb to death Mm. Because you must have a lot of people Who die around you And you told me Mm
1: -hmm. Well no because You know I think Everybody's journey is so individual And you know one thing I've learnt Especially this year Is that There's so much to learn And every Journey we make is a privilege To be on And some patients never leave you.
0: In what sense?
1: Well... Their spirit? Their spirit, their attitude to life, the way they would just be so strong and prepared to face death with their dignity.
0: I have to say it because you didn't say it. You said it to me, but you didn't say it on the tape. Okay. What Gary said, I said, do you get numb to death? And he said... And like, in a respect that it's just another number, it doesn't matter anymore. And he said, no, if he got to that stage, he has I'd to, have leave to leave his yeah. job. Yeah. And I thought that was very, very moral. Well, because um, it shows that yeah, he's, he does it from the heart. He's a good guy. And um, I would never have left a hyg- Lord job. <laughs> in the or career to come to england to work and help people die or, or whatever but yeah. you know you're a better man than i am in that
1: department i don't know about that sir. i think we all have our journey and we just don't know where where we'll be taken or called or whatever and it has been such a journey especially this has been a very challenging year mm. for us very very challenging how so well a lot of patients or people who referred to us didn't want us to visit them at home because they were so, were so worried about getting the oh. virus. And unfortunately, then they, they became so symptomatic, they tried to go into hospital. And when they went in, their relatives couldn't visit them. That was really upsetting. So at the hospice, even when patients came in to us, we always allowed a certain time frame for them to visit. We kept them as safe and they wore appropriate Um You know, protection, and we sanitize, and we check temperatures. But we were really disturbed when we found out that a lot of patients were dying on their own.
0: Mm. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah.
1: And that was that was hard for some of the relatives, and a lot of them remember it still. So we found that, like, the the demand on our psychological and counselling services had gone up significantly during it too.
0: Mm So what does the future hold for Gary?
1: Well, hopefully a few days of rest and just reflection. I always think we should take advantage of, but maybe I'm just old now, this time of the year is to stay with as close as you can to your family and reflect on the year that has just passed and see how best to move forward in the new year. But I'm old now, so maybe that's just sounding boring, but... No, you know.
0: no, you are entitled and to do what you believe in, which is great. Family is always great. Mm. So that's you know, that's what I'm about.
1: Yeah. What have you learned
0: throughout this whole thing?
1: Make the most of every day.
0: I agree with that.
1: Make the most. You don't know when, you don't know how. And don't think don't ever take people, especially your family, for granted
0: someone said to me yesterday I think at the end of the interview that never let an opportunity pass you true
1: true so true
0: I never actually thought of that yeah but it's very true never let an opportunity pass you always go for gold sure
1: yeah.
0: in that respect yeah um, at least you know you've tried if you failed and if, yeah and if you succeed well good luck to you mm. and or more power to you in that respect um, mm. last question uh huh What's
1: the impact you
0: want
1: to have in the world? Impact? Hmm. Well... I you've already had an impact. I don't know about that. So, that's a good question. Well, it's... I won't say a good, but it's an interesting and a hard question right now. And I'll tell you why. So, I just wanted to always make sure that... This is going to be hard. Whatever I could do to help somebody would be similar to what people would do for my parents. I like that. I
0: really like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah, unfortunately, a few weeks ago, seven weeks ago, my dad died at home.
0: I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay.
1: And I, of course, was over here and I couldn't be there to look after him. He wasn't alone, was he? Well, he was in hospital and it was distressed him a lot. He couldn't talk. He had several strokes. But thank goodness he came home and my family, my mom and my sister did an amazing job. He died within 48 hours of being home, but he always wanted to die at home. He didn't want any strangers looking after him. And you know what? He was a grumpy old man, but he got his wish. And the only <laughs> thing for me is I wish I was there. Yeah. So, yeah. I
0: understand. I understand. Thanks for that That's alright uh, Thanks just, for listening <laughs> No, don't worry Just a change I'm intrigued about this jungle And this hydraulic <laughs> okay. I know this is like a
1: bonus section <laughs> here, yeah? You're giving us a bonus section Kind of um, Finishing on an adventure uh, Tell okay. us, what is it like? It was amazing So 6 o'clock And just remember, I'm talking about in a Trinidad setting where Mm -hmm. 6 o'clock in in the morning is 25 degrees, so it's not cold. You get into work, you load up the vehicle with your equipment. So we had equipment to measure the flow of rivers. And whoever you're working with that day, you either collect them en route or they'd be at the office. You get the vehicle started, you fill up the petrol in the station and you hit the road. You're driving 90 miles to wherever you have to go, either on the coast or by rivers or in the forest. You're looking out for snakes if you're walking through tracks to get to rain gauges in hide areas. Um, and if you finish, we'd start early because we always had an agenda. By 2 o'clock, if we finished all our work, you'd stop off and have a nice swim in a crystal clear river yeah. or yeah. by Totoro the coast, by the really beach. Like, yeah. yeah, so it was just a nice so way to interface with the nature. And alligators? Well, like we, we had caimans and that was also funny because...
0: You had what?
1: Caymans. So Caymans are like small alligators. They have a flatter snout, yeah? But we have how, lots of caimans. How big are they? Not that big. Uh, take your arm, five, your arm Yeah, yeah, they, they could do you some damage. But, you know, it was part of the adventure. Listen, I was in my 20s. It was an adventure. You know, who else could drive around all day, jumping in and out of rivers or walking through rainforests? check rain gauges and so that was the positive that was the kind of
0: did you ever get bit or attacked by any
1: no i almost got attacked by a caiman and once we we had a few snakes on branches we had to be mindful of
0: Were you eat them? pardon did you eat him?
1: no 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 you nah. eating one yeah no nah, not snakes
0: really yeah can't you eat them you must be able to eat them no nah, we off, disembowel
1: them Possibly, but I think to be honest, from what I know, it's not it's a rubbery kind of meat. From what I've been told, yeah,
0: it must be, isn't it? It's yeah, like I mean,
1: yeah. one thing that we would come across would be some a few hunters hunting, um, something called a maniku or a guti or iguana. And I have to confess, well, I, I like? I've eaten iguana, iguana was very much like oh, chicken.
0: iguana. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 okay.
1: There's uh, nothing wrong
0: with eating it. If you well, no, no, nah, nah, the
1: others are fine, just the iguana is. Kind of endangered now you see Because it was over hunted
0: Yeah but there's a Back difference in the day it was alright Eating it locally Yeah 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 Because you're hungry And farming it off to some western country Yeah no. That's different Because it is. western people You know they exploit They all these Yeah kind of like it's
1: like some kind of delicacy sort of Kind of crazy But, but versus... you're
0: just hungry and Yeah And it's your equivalent to chicken
1: Yeah but a, So that's probably what the closest I don't know May have had a guti again But yeah it was just It was just the sort of job that you would get up easily in the morning and go to. For me, anyway. But I suppose that's why I do the job outdoors now. Visit people at home. Sitting behind a desk was never for me.
0: No, I agree with that. I, I can only do this job. Yeah. So I'm meeting different people, and the fact that I do the interviewing now. Yeah. Oh, makes a day flight. I can do it eighteen hours, no well, problem. Geez. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm you know, you're doing so many interviews, you're hearing people's stories, hearing some stories you just don't want to hear.
1: Yeah, pretty Why like, I, oh, I, I go down that
0: rabbit hole? Uh. Oh, please back up, back <laughs> You know you're like a you're like um uh, a tunnel rat in the yeah. Vietnam War. you got that a tunnel, you realise who's on the other end, and you're yeah. like, pull me
1: out, pull me <laughs> no, out Nice, so but
0: yeah. It's been interesting. So you've come across some dangerous
1: creatures. Yeah, I've had a few adventures with vehicles on flooded roads in the rainy season or by a bridge measuring oh. the flow and all sorts of things. But oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, so
0: you've got to go. When the water's violent and it's monsoon, i you, sure you have monsoon era.
1: But we have kind of rainy season, the which, rainy could, you season. know, our hurricanes.
0: Yeah, so you have to be out there at that time. Yeah,
1: so we used to have, you know, you'd go, you'd stay in a, a house in one part of the island and with the equipment, so you'd have big weights. With a kind of rotating device to measure the flow, and you'd have to stand on a bridge with that hanging over Hoping on the bridge a isn't pulley. Taking
0: with yeah,
1: so Do it you was. Wear rubber boots. Yeah, we had um, the full waist, you know, high waist uh, oh, kind like of boots. Like the fisherman's? Yeah, yeah. So must be
0: sweating heavy
1: definitely, definitely, I hated to put those on. So
0: why would you wear it then?
1: Mainly if the water was really high and you need to get a flow, so you wouldn't go if it's above your head, but if it was like four feet and pushing or three feet you know because the, the short boots would be too shallow it was just to keep you dry as much as possible waders we had waders yeah, but if yeah. you're
0: sweating doesn't matter
1: well it, it should the whole procedure should take you less than half an hour to measure the flow if it's a not too wide a river so it was just all dependent on the, the, the size of the river you wanted to measure mm-hmm. but yeah it was just really interesting the boring bits not boring but they kind of other bit was going back to the office and putting all that computer on the front programs to get estimations and guesstimations of annual rainfall and mm-hmm. stream flow and groundwater and all sorts and the other exciting bit just to say is we used to supervise the drilling of water wells and i was normally on night duty and that was interesting wow. every five foot that you drill you had, to, had two big mud bits one that it used to settle in and go back into the pump but the other one you'd have to go in and look at the whatever rock formation you were cutting through and identify it so you'd know
0: It's like a big borehole
1: test Yeah, so, but you'd stay till they drill the well to a few hundred feet and monitor every five foot A hundred feet? A few hundred, a, yeah how,
0: how, how? What's the diameter of the well?
1: It would depend So they'd start off With one size Like a I don't know A certain bowl Like I don't know 14 inches 16 inches But okay. if they needed To develop the well They'd increase the top area To sit a pump on top You yeah, know So
0: it's a well For a pump Not a well For a bucket
1: No no This is a proper the in, Like hitting a A water table With you know yeah, two aquifers yeah, yeah 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 yeah. So, so it was interesting it?
0: So it's not a borehole Well it, what, what do you call it Aquifer.
1: Just hitting Looking to hit An aquifer
0: Aquifer. Yeah. Underwater table. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So that's, and you're hoping that that's going to be sustainable. So yeah, that was kind of another adventurous kind of bit too.
0: And the the water's fresh water.
1: Sometimes it would need to be treated, but generally it was in the Caribbean, you'd normally find that you might have a certain amount of sodium or, or, sorry, sulphur in it at certain points, but most of it was um, drinkable, but you'd still need to treat it. Uh, it is. It's not good. It can affect cells and just the way your whole body makeup is a bit of a toxin to get rid of from your your liver and your your kidney. Okay, so
0: if you drank too much of
1: that, <laughs> it wouldn't be good for you. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Right. So yeah, but all in all, okay. but thank you for yeah, the thanks opportunity. Thanks yeah? for that.
0: Much appreciated. We hope you liked that interview. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to get the latest daily episode. Ever considered investing in the continent with the fastest growing economy and population on Earth? The same continent that holds 30% of the world's known natural resources? Then listen to our sister podcast, Africa Investor Stories, where you will hear real investors with real stories from around the world share their experience of investing in Africa. We post Monday and Thursday at 10am.